Church, I want to just take a few moments and I want to, I want to just speak about this thought of first responders. And I, I hope this will be an encouragement, not just to those that stood a moment ago, but to every person that's in this room. And, and, and let me just say that, you know, Hollywood has gotten it wrong when it comes to presenting Jesus, when it comes to presenting God. Uh, I, I hope you don't get your theology from television or YouTube, but you'd be surprised at the things that I hear in the ministry that, you know, um, that just come from nowhere in God's Word. Speaking of God's Word, let me grab a Bible. This will go better if I have one. I mean, I don't, have, I don't have a problem filling the time, but it's always better when the Word of God's involved. You know, if you lived by Hollywood standard, you know, you would think that God just sits, you know, in some ambient white space that is, you know, sterilized and distant and, and there's nothing there. And you come away with two impressions of God when you look at him from that Hollywood perspective. Number one, you think, this is not a place I was meant to be. It's foreign. You know, when you just see this, this, this white space and, and everyone's, you know, there's, there's, it's ethereal and there's nothing of substance there. Immediately the feeling we get is this is a foreign space to me. And maybe the second and more dangerous feeling that we get is that even if it was for me, I really wouldn't want to be there. Because not only is it foreign, but it's boring. Right? I mean, you think about the depictions of God's presence, and you think, that's not really a place I want to hang out. There's not a whole lot there going on for me. It's foreign, and it's boring. But can I tell you that in God's Word, He paints a different picture of Himself. God paints a different picture of himself entirely. And can I tell you, God is not afraid to step into the middle of the messy emergency that is your life and my life. God is not concerned at all about staining his garments or his reputation by responding to our crisis. And so if we're talking about first responders today, it feels right that we would talk about the Lord our God for just a few moments. In fact, you know, we're all very familiar. We've been taught well by our public servants that in a case of emergency, we dial 911. But we didn't always have that emergency response system in place. So the old timers knew a, number, a different number. It was 333. That's Jeremiah 33.3. And it says, call upon me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. How many ever dialed that number before? You just had to call on the Lord. Like, I, I don't know what's happening in this situation. I don't know how it's going to play out. But I got to call on the Lord. And it's good to know if you're in a crisis, there's a number. There's a person you can reach. He is Jehovah God. And he gives us this invitation. Call upon me. And I will answer you. And I'll tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. I want you to hear my heart because my plan today is not to just give you a Bible lesson. I want to give you an invitation. I want to give you an invitation to make that call in whatever is happening in your life and whatever the crisis of the day might look like for you. He's made his number available. And here's the good thing about God. There's no crisis so big that has put God in crisis. I love the way Corey Tin Boom said it. She said, there is no panic in heaven, only plans. I'm glad that was in the notes this morning. I had to preach that to myself when I was watching the weather. And I'm going, there's no panic in heaven. There's only plans. I, 
I love the way Pastor Adrian Rogers used to say it. He said, the Holy Trinity never meets in emergency session. Isn't that a great thought? Like, we never have to scramble together and, and you know, have this convocation in heaven to, to get in the war room and figure out what we're going to do now. God has never, ever once in eternity past been surprised. He knows full well, and so what that tells us is that God has never had a crisis, but God has also never been scared off, off by one. He's not intimidated by our crisis, and the greatest crisis, obviously, that, that any of us could ever endure, that all of us endure, is the crisis of sin. Now listen, we, we like to call out the individual flavors. You know, we like to pick on the ones that bother us the, more, the most, but there's more flavors of sin than Baskin-Robbins has ice cream. But how many of you know it, it's all ice cream, and it's all sin, and that's the greatest crisis that any and every one of us deal with. And, and usually it can be boiled down to a, a few categories. Usually when we deal with sins, it, it's either dealing with issues of glory or gold or girls. Right? It's, it's about the glory. It's, it's the internal issues. It's about the gold. It's about the things of this world. Or, or it's about the girls. It's the sexual issues. Or, or we could say it a different way. It's about the moods, it's about the money, or it's about the men. You said that too strong. I'm a little worried for you. That was, that was a strong amen. Or maybe we could say it a different way. It's about the status, it's about the stacks, and it's about sex. But whether those are the issues or some other issue, it's all about sin. In fact, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's problematic because in chapter 6 in verse 23 of Romans, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Jesus Christ our Lord. So if the penalty of sin is death and all have sinned, how many of you know we've got a crisis? <laughs> we've got a crisis happening. And yet God's response to the crisis of sin from the very beginning and even now has been to answer the call. It's always been to run to the crisis. To give that invitation of Jeremiah 33 and 3. Just call on me. And I'll answer. So I want to take you really quickly to a few threes. In Genesis chapter 3, we see the very first crisis. Everything was perfect in the Garden of Eden. God had made this beautiful place for men to dwell. And Adam and Eve were there. And God said, there's only one rule that you can't break. And that is simply this. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God gave them every opportunity to thrive on this place called earth. You know the story. They were enticed into sin. In fact, it says in verse 6 of Genesis 3, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. That's all, all three categories. She's dealing with temptation. It says she took some and she ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. 
Verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. In other words, the moment that sin entered the, the, the story for humanity, we became self-aware. We became self-conscious. Shame entered the narrative for the first time. We were no longer a perfect reflection of the image of God we were created in as man and woman, male and female. Then it says this, verse 8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord, who was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But here's what I want you to see today. Here's what the Lord says in response to the very first and greatest crisis of humanity. Verse 9, But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Where are you? See, our first response is just like Adam and Eve. Our first response is to hide. Our first response is to cover up. Our first response is to feel conviction and to not want to be exposed. But God continues to call to us in the place of our sin, in the place of our brokenness, in the place of our crisis. And he's saying it today. Where are you? Where are you? Like a fireman who's who's walking through a smoked-out building. I'm here for the rescue, but where are you? And the truth is, God isn't saying, where are you, because he can't find them. God isn't saying, where are you, because he doesn't know where Adam is behind that bush in the garden. God says, where are you, because he needs Adam, and he needs Eve to acknowledge where they are. And he's calling out to you and me, and he's saying, where are you? And he needs you to come to the place in your heart and in your mind that you say, here I am, Lord, I'm hiding. Here I am, Lord, I'm guilty. Here I am, I'm ashamed. Here I am, knowing that I've done something wrong, knowing that I've broken your law, that I've disobeyed your commands. I'm acknowledging in this moment that I'm hiding in this place, covered in this way, because I have failed God. That's where I am. And that's where God needs every person to get to. It's the first step of rescue. I'm right here. I'm in need of rescue. And there's so many good people in this world that will never enter the kingdom. And it's not because they lack good deeds or community service. It's because they've never come to the place of recognizing I need rescued. Where are you? That's the question. Where are you? Let me give you a second three. It's in the next book, Exodus chapter three. This is a story of God revealing himself to Moses in a burning bush. Many of you know the story. It's, it's an iconic moment where the children of Israel have been in captivity, in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. For 400 years, they're, they're calling out under the oppressive hand of Egyptian taskmasters. And Moses, who's fled 40 years before, is now living on the backside of the wilderness. And God meets him in a burning bush. And in that encounter with God at the burning bush, God says four things to Moses in two verses. He says four things that are really a snapshot of the whole Bible. These two verses are a snapshot of the whole plan of redemption. I want you to see it with me in Exodus 3, verse 7 and 8. There, as Moses is kneeling down with his shoes off in a holy moment in front of the presence of the Lord while the bush burns, God says this, verse 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of, of my people 
in Egypt, the first thing that God said is, I've seen what happened. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. The second thing is, God says, I've heard them cry. I've heard them call out to me. And then it says, and I am concerned about their suffering. That's the third thing. And then he says in verse 8, so I have come down to rescue them. That's the fourth thing. That's, that's the whole gospel in a nutshell, that God says, I've seen what happened, and I've heard them call out. I said, where are you? Where are you? And they responded, I need rescued. I need saved. I need a deliverer. I've seen it, and now I've heard them, and I am concerned. Can I tell you how God feels about the junk in your life today? He's concerned. He's, he's concerned. Don't, don't believe the lie that God's just sitting up on the balcony of heaven with a, a tack hammer ready to just, you know, thump somebody that gets out of line. He's not up there throwing lightning bolts. The God of heaven who loved you enough to send Jesus to die for your sin is concerned about what's wrecking your life this weekend. He's concerned. Amen. It's a lie from the pit of hell. That some, have, some did not come today. Hear this. This is true because maybe you've been there before. You know it. Some did not receive the invitation today to come here because they felt unworthy to come to a church service because of the crisis. But don't, don't we understand God knew about the crisis before we told him about it. He's already seen it. And he's just waiting for somebody to, to acknowledge where they're at and to call on him. He said, I've seen it and now I've heard and I am concerned and I have come down to rescue. That's what God's come to do today. He's come to rescue. He's, he's the first responder to the greatest crisis of humanity. I want to ask the worship team, uh, the musicians to come back. And, and I want to give you a third story quickly. It's in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel, in this story, is in exile in Babylon. It's kind of a repetitive story in the Old Testament. If you haven't read it before, you'll see God's people. He keeps saving them, and then they keep screwing up, and, and he keeps saving them again. And how many of you know that's not just Old Testament? That's Christianity America 2021. Yeah, that's been the story for a long, long time. But the Bible says God's grace is greater than sin. Can I get an amen to that? That means if we call again, he's faithful and just to show up again and to rescue us again. And so in Daniel chapter 3, they're living in Babylonian captivity. Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon builds a statue that's 9 feet wide and 90 feet high. And he gives instructions for everyone to bow down and worship this, this statue. Of course, as the people of God, they knew that, you know, one of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. Make no graven images. They said, we, we can't bow down to some statue. It goes against our convictions. And the king was indignant, and he said, listen, I'm going to give you another chance. The band's going to play, and when the band plays, you're going to bow down, and you're going to worship this statue. And if you don't, we're going to throw you into a fiery furnace. Many of you know the story. The king gets so frustrated. He says, turn the, the fire up seven times hotter. And he takes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he has his, his servants take them and throw them into the fire. The flames were so intense 
that the men that pushed them in died. They died at the door of the furnace. The Bible says, and this is what I want you to see in this story, because this is the way that our enemy works in our lives. As King Nebuchadnezzar is, is taunting them and saying, you've got, you've got to cave. You've got to, you've got to do what I'm telling you to do. He says to them in verse 15 of Daniel 3. Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, all the band, when you hear them play, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image that I made, very good. But if you do not, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then here's the question. Some of you have been hearing this question in your mind. Then he says to them, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Can I tell you, the devil operates with that same mode of intimidation. He looks at the crisis in your life. He looks at the things that I'm up against. He looks at the impossible circumstances. And he says, what God's going to help you? What God is going to fix that? Oh, you, you've really blown it this time. You've gone too far. What God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And I want to just tell somebody today, the same God who appeared in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the same God who is here for you. Amen. Daniel 3 says, Nebuchadnezzar looked in and he said, I thought we threw three men in the fire, but there appears to be a fourth man, and he looks like a son of the gods. That same God who showed up in the fire for those three Hebrew boys, the same one who called out to Adam and Eve and said, where are you? He's the same God who's calling out today. He knows where you are. He needs you to come to terms with where you are. He needs you and me to get to the place where we say, I'm the one that failed. I'm the one that doesn't measure up. I'm the one that can't be saved by my good works. I'm the one that can't cover up and sew well enough to look right enough to fit the part anymore. I'm naked and ashamed in the presence of my God. I'm right here. Here I am, God. It's the same God who told Moses, I've seen what's happened. And I heard you call out. And I'm concerned. And so I came here to rescue. That God is in this place. And I told you earlier, I had no intention of just giving you a Bible lesson today. I want to give you an invitation from Genesis, Exodus, and Daniel chapter 3, from Jeremiah 33 and 3. I want to give you an invitation to call on the Lord with confidence, knowing that He said, I will answer and I will show you great and unsearchable things that you don't know. So I want to invite you all over this room to stand. This house is packed today, but I want to make an invitation. I'm going to ask some of our prayer team that's here, some of our prayer warriors, if you would just come and, and stand along the front. Some of our advisory committee, if you could come and just stand along the front. This worship team is going to lead this song again. And as they sing these words that we sang earlier, as they sing these words, I'm not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again?
As we say those words, as we sing those words out loud, I want to invite you to make that call. Maybe you need to walk an aisle this morning and find someone to come and pray for you. To open up your heart and to acknowledge, God, here I am. Here I am. And I need you today. Come on, let's take a moment right now and let's call on him. If you want prayer today, would you come? Even as we sing this song together.